GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. Coming up on today's program, we'll speak to the president of the Saskatchewan Seed Growers Association. And we'll be talking about uh, the fact that there is uh, a need to grow wheat midge tolerant wheat varieties this spring. This year's Saskatchewan wheat midge forecast map is showing a lot more red than in recent years. Kurt Prince of Gravelberg is the president of the Saskatchewan Seed Growers Association. Also coming up on GX on Agriculture, we'll talk about keeping calves healthy, which is a very timely topic with calving season right around the corner. Dr. Reynold Bergen is the science director for the Beef Cattle Research Council. We'll also have the weekly overview of the wheat market with Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. And the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities is pushing for more progress on the Lake Diefenbaker Irrigation Project to provide much-needed drought relief. President Ray Orb will join us on today's program. So all of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Saskatchewan farmers are being urged to consider growing wheat midge tolerant wheat varieties this spring. This year's Saskatchewan wheat midge forecast map shows a lot more red than in recent years, especially in the Fort Quapel Balcaris area, south of Melford, about an hour southeast of Regina, as well as pockets around Watrous. Kurt Prince of Gravelberg is the president of the Saskatchewan Seed Growers Association. The wheat midge forecast put out by SaskAg is showing uh, some considerable uh, hot spots throughout the province, kind of concentrated on the east side of the province, but uh, sporadically all over. So this represents a higher risk of uh, midge uh, in this upcoming year uh, compared to uh, you know the last few years forecast for sure. He notes the window to use most insecticides for wheat midge is closing soon. Yeah, so as most of your listeners um, probably already know that the main insecticide uh, used to control wheat midge is uh, is uh, being deregistered and uh, not going to be available for purchase. So uh, growing midge tolerant uh, varieties of wheat is uh, your best defense against wheat midge. Prince adds there are a few other insecticide options right now. There is uh, another insecticide option, but uh, growing uh, wheat midge tolerant varieties is, uh, is I think, a best management practice, uh, especially uh, if you're forecasted to be in an area of high population. He notes most seed growers carry midge tolerant wheat varieties. Yes, that's correct. So there are uh, midge tolerant varieties are available in all the major wheat classes and your local trusted uh, seed grower would be the best source of information of which varieties work in your area. 
Prince explains another benefit that comes with purchasing a midge-resistant wheat variety. When you purchase uh, a midge tolerant uh, wheat, it's actually a, already a blend of two varieties. Uh, approximately 90% is the midge tolerant uh, variety, which carries the SM1 gene that gives the midge resistance. And then there's approximately 10% of uh, a refuge variety that isn't resistant to uh, wheat midge and does not carry that SM1 gene. And the reason that is is to prevent uh, a buildup of midge that uh, are tolerant to the SM1 gene. Uh, naturally occurring, there's a small number of midge that are unaffected by the midge-tolerant gene, and without using a refuge, we'd uh, see a, a large buildup of in the population of these uh, midge that aren't affected by the SM1 gene. And, and S, the SM1 gene is the only source of midge resistance that we know of, so it's really our only option at this uh, time, so it's important that we uh, take good care of that trait. He then outlines the stewardship agreement that needs to be signed when purchasing a midge-tolerant wheat variety. Yeah, so that stewardship agreement uh, just states that you're only allowed to keep uh, farm safe seed uh, one generation past certified. So you can use that first generation seed for a few years. You know, you can bin a several year supply of seed on your farm and keep growing that. And the reason for that is, uh, Doug, uh, is just because we know that uh, the midge are going to be attacking the uh, the refuge variety and we're going to have uh, a decrease in percent of that refuge variety. Uh, so it's important to keep that approximate 90%, 10% uh, split of uh, refuge and uh, resistant uh, varieties. That's Kurt Prince of Gravelberg, the president of the Saskatchewan Seed Growers Association, talking about wheat midge of tolerant varieties. More information is in the 2023 Saskatchewan Seed Guide. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review. Producer deliveries of major grains were up sharply last month, when compared to January 2022, according to Statistics Canada. At more than 5.36 million metric tons, those deliveries jumped 85% when comparing January to January. The spike in deliveries reinforced the significant recovery on the prairies from the drought in 2021. The sharpest increases came in Durham, which at 660,128 metric tons, soared 257.2% from January 2022, and there was a 150.7% jump in barley at 543,123 metric tons. The smallest uptick was in oats, rising 17.2% at 222,609 metric tons. Following the latest supply and demand estimates from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, or AAFC, Markets Farm Pro Analyst Mike Jubinville said their numbers all seem reasonable enough. There were only a handful of small tweaks to pulses in the AAFC report released Friday. 
For the most part, the revisions came with dry beans and chickpeas. Jubinville notes the upside in dry peas was limited, with the best payers still in the domestic premium food users. He says China is still a difficult market to get in, with that country preferring to buy from Russia. Also, he says Australia is projected to have 100,000 to 200,000 metric tons of peas available for export. Australia also factors in when it comes to lentils, with its largest crop of reds, which could bite into Canadian exports. In turn, Jubinville says he expects planted lentil acres to be down this spring on the Canadian prairies. Eight soil health projects across Canada will be getting a multi-million dollar boost in private funding over the next five years. The Weston Family Foundation, the philanthropic arm of the Weston business empire, has slated $10 million for those eight projects through the organization's Soil Health Initiative. The initiative is tagged under the foundation's environmental stewardship stream, a category mandated towards biodiversity improvement, research, and sustainable agriculture. Other projects in the stream have funded ecological renewal around the Great Lakes and promoted grasslands. The new Soil Health Initiative was launched in spring of 2022. Successful projects would help spread practices like cover cropping, 4R nutrient management, or diverse crop rotations to increase soil organic matter. In total, 38 organizations made a bid for the funding. Of those, 16 were invited to make a full proposal, with the final lineup decided by a review panel. Using a combination of machine learning and AI, input from analytical teams, current and historical market data, regional aggregate data, and insights in its network, GrainFox has launched the Smart Advisor platform this week. The Smart Advisor provides sales recommendations based on how the sale of each crop in a farmer's portfolio interacts with one another. That's according to GrainFox. The platform combines analytics from historical and current market data, along with producers' cash flow goals, storage constraints, and risk tolerance, and then offers sales recommendations personalized to each farm. GrainFox also offers other farm wealth tools, including a return on investment calculator, cash flow planner, a sales and inventory tracker, and a resource hub containing market analysis and geopolitical commentary. The BC Salmon Farmers Association says a decision by the Federal Fisheries Minister to not renew licenses for 15 open-net Atlantic salmon farms in the Discovery Islands area is short-sighted. The association says the permanent removal of these farms will have devastating effects on rural coastal communities that rely on the industry. It says at a time when grocery prices are high and the country is heading for a recession, further loss of jobs will have far-reaching negative implications. Minister Joyce Murray says wild salmon are in serious long-term decline and the government is making protection of the species its priority. The campaign director for the Vancouver Humane Society 
says the group is disappointed after the B.C. government included rodeos on its list of events that would be eligible for a funding boost. Emily Pickett says rodeos are inhumane and outdated and that they have been proven to cause animal suffering. The Ministry of Tourism announced last Thursday that it will be providing $30 million to support events in B.C. and that those eligible to apply include sports, arts and culture events, community celebrations, agricultural fairs and rodeos. The Humane Society says it's calling on the province to abstain from providing funding to rodeos and instead support a shift away from these types of events. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back in 30 seconds' time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and minus 28 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Keeping calves healthy is a timely topic with calving season right around the corner. Dr. Reynold Bergen is the science director for the Beef Cattle Research Council. So cow-calf margins get tighter each time you feed a pregnant cow through the winter only to have her calf die before weaning. Three of the leading causes of pre-weaning death loss are diarrhea, navel ill, and bovine respiratory disease. Not all calf illness or death can be prevented, especially when the weather gets bad, but remembering some basic principles can help to avoid some of them. So in this study, Dr. John Campbell from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine led a team of researchers and producers who were participating in the, the Western Canadian Cow-Calf Surveillance Network to study how common calf diarrhea, navel ill, and BRD are, how they're typically treated, and to figure out which management practices can help avoid them. What did they do? There were 48 cow-calf operators from Alberta, and 24 from Saskatchewan, and 17 from Manitoba. Among them, they had between 89 to 684 cows, and they, they were surveyed in 2017. So they were asked about their calving and herd management practices, when and how often calves were treated for BRD or navel ill or, or calfhood diarrhea and how they treated them. And then the researchers deciphered which practices were effective at avoiding those various calf health problems, regardless of herd size or, or geography. What did they learn? Well, once again, BRD is not just a feedlot issue. On average, 5% of calves were treated for BRD before weaning. Now, 80% of those calves, or, or nearly 4% of the total, were treated before two months of age. Pre-weaning death loss, due to this, averaged half a percent, but, but some herds treated up to 19% of their calves before two months of age, up to 25% before weaning, and some experienced up to 2.3% death loss. So that's higher than some groups of feedlot calves. And these were not bottom-end operations by any stretch of the imagination. All, all of the herds participating in this study had a working relationship with their veterinarian. When it comes to calfhood diarrhea, on average, about 3% of calves were treated before weaning, nearly always before a month of age. 
But treatment rates were much higher in some herds, like over 8% treated before a month of age. And, and death loss averaged half a percent, but reached 2% in some herds. Naval ill, the average herd treated 2% of calves, but some treated up to 12. So there's a lot of range in how, how common these diseases are. And the, the keys to reducing the risks of these diseases were social distancing. So allowing cattle to spread out and calve on clean calving grounds makes it way harder for diseases to spread from animal to animal. Calving on pasture decreased the risk of BRD and calf diarrhea compared to calving in barns or corrals. And similarly, the risk of all three diseases were lower in herds that moved newly calved pairs out of the main herd and to a clean nursery pasture, or vice versa. Second point is, don't let the germs build up. The risk of calfhood disease was lower in operations that did not calve on the winter feeding grounds. Calving heifers and cows separately also reduced the risk of all three diseases. Don't buy more germs, especially close to the calving season. The risk of BRD was lower in herds that did not bring newly purchased cows or calves into the herd during calving or before breeding. Minimize stress. Stress depresses the immune system, and that means calves can't fight disease off as easily. The risks of disease, especially BRD and calf diarrhea, were lower in herds that handled calves and cows less frequently. Strengthen immunity. The risk of calf diarrhea was lower in operations that, that practiced body condition scoring. Heifers and cows that were fed and managed for optimal body condition scoring at calving will produce higher quality colostrum, and that's essential to protect calves against disease early in life. Vaccination is also critical. Most of these farms vaccinated calves for, for both the bacteria and the viruses that cause BRD. Most of the herds vaccinated the cow herd for the viral pathogens, but only a third of farms also vaccinated the cows for both the bacterial and the viral BRD pathogens. But those farms that did vaccinate against both had a lower risk of BRD in the calves. So what does this mean to you? Well, how do your pre-weaning treatment rates compare to these farms? Which of these management practices are worth adopting or refining on your own operation? None of these practices are silver bullets on their own. They work together and add up. They work together in combination. Work with your veterinarian to develop a prevention-based herd health plan tailored to your facilities, your land base, your workforce, and your disease history. Review your vaccination program, both for the calves and the cows, and how you usually prevent and treat calfhood diseases when they arise. You know, for example, calfhood diarrhea in the first month of age is usually caused by viruses, and electrolytes are the best treatment for that. Save the antibiotics for the calves that have a fever and have stopped nursing. Don't mass treat all the calves with antibiotics to prevent BRD unless your veterinarian has recommended that you do that. Optimal nutrition ensures that cows and heifers are in good body condition score at calving, give birth to a healthy calf, and produce high quality colostrum. That'll also help cows rebreed sooner after calving. Allow newborn calves to get their fill of colostrum before tagging, vaccinating, or castrating them. You know, you can't prevent lousy weather during calving, but you can help give your calves a fighting chance. 
That's Dr. Reynold Bergen, the science director for the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please stay tuned. Your livestock market conditions are next. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 165.05. That's down five. June live cattle trading at 161.05, up 17. March feeder cattle trading at 187.90, up 102. April feeder cattle trading at 191.72, up 92. April lean hogs trading at 86.90, down 220. May lean hogs trading at 95.75, down 142. And that's the livestock market conditions. Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Wheat futures were mixed last week, with the forecast in the winter wheat belt turning drier and the sentiment being that the black seed trade quarter will be extended again in the significant purchases and trades. Tunisia was expected to tender for 100,000 tons of March soft wheat, and Jordan was in for 120,000 tons of hard wheat for June and July delivery. We did not receive any results on either Tunisia or Jordan's tender, but Russia was well poised to have won the lion's share of both of these tenders. Egypt is scheduled to tender on Wednesday for early April delivery wheat. U.S. weekly export sales were 210,000 tons at the low end of trade guesses. This left the season total at 606 million bushels, down 5.5% from last year against the USDA's 3% decline. In some of the most important news that happened last week, we'll start in Canada. Canada's export pace remains strong, although rail performance has been less than inspiring. CN and CP supplied a combined 71% of the ordered hopper cars in week 27, which, although a strong increase from the previous week's 63%, marks the 12th week in a row that both companies have supplied fewer than the 90% threshold. According to the Ag Transport Coalition, CN has supplied less than 90% of the ordered cars in 14 of the past 15 weeks, and CP has supplied less than 90% of the ordered cars now for the 22nd week in a row. Week 28 wheat exports from Canada were 364.3 thousand tons for a season total of 10.6 million tons. Weekly exports were below the current average export pace, but still above the weekly average amount that is needed to meet the AAFC's 19.1 million ton export projection. For Durham exports, Canada exported 166.2 thousand tons of Durham, for a season total of 3 million tons. Canadian Durham exports in February and March should be decently strong as we suspect Canada won portions of both Tunisia and Algeria's recent tenders. Durham prices in Italy fell another 10 euros a ton over the week to 408 euros per ton. This calculates to about $12.50 a bushel at the elevator in Saskatchewan. Durham prices in Italy have fallen 30 euros a ton since Algeria's purchase, which was well below expected values. 
There are rumors that a Canadian exporter wanted to clear out Durham supplies on the west coast and sold to Algeria at a discount. The French Farm Ministry is expecting their Durham area will fall by almost 5% this coming year at 233,000 hectares. We would finish old crop Durham sales and would sell 20% of new crop at about $12 a bushel. In the U.S. The USDA released their annual baseline projections last week. They are forecasting U.S. wheat area in the upcoming season will grow by 1.8 million acres to 47.5 million acres. Larger seeded area is expected to be driven by strong cash prices and tight supplies. Exports are forecasted to grow by 50 million bushels to 825 million bushels in the coming season. Domestic use is expected to grow by 4% from last year to 1.1 million bushels. U.S. wheat stocks are forecasted to grow by 15% from last year to 663 million bushels. Stocks to use would then rise by about 3 points to 34%. Most of the U.S. southern plains were dry, although some of eastern Kansas received heavy rain. Forecasts were showing the potential of additional rain, but this has largely been eliminated. In Australia, futures prices in Australia finished the week at a seven-week high as the Australian dollar continues to slide. Australia exported a record 2.7 million tons of wheat in December. This is a strong start to the export season given Australia's wheat exports are usually the strongest in the January to July timeframe. In Argentina, there was little action in Argentina's wheat market. A cold snap late last week caused frost damage on their corn and soybean crops. Inflation in Argentina is pushing up to about 100% as revenues from their tax exports decline along with the condition of their crops. In India, India's Ag Minister is forecasting a record wheat crop. They said similar untrue things last year, and the extreme heat in the country's north is making us skeptical about this prediction. In the European Union, there was no update on EU exports, but the French Ag Ministry lowered its outlook for the French soft wheat exports by 150,000 tonnes for a season total of 10.5 million tonnes. The French Farm Ministry put their winter wheat crop for the upcoming season at 4.8 million hectares. This is a 2% increase from last year. In the Black Sea, the general sentiment is that Moscow will renew the trade corridor. China has been buying roughly a million tons of Ukrainian corn per month, and we don't expect Putin will want to tread on President Xi's toes. As the winter wheat crops are starting to come out of dormancy, analysts are taking a closer look at soil moistures in Europe, which are currently quite low. Despite this, Russia's Ag Minister said that 95% of the country's wheat crop is in good to satisfactory condition. Given the conditions so far, we're not so sure. The long-term forecast for Europe is calling for a hot and dry spring and summer. This coming week. This week will be a short trading week, and we do not expect a lot of movement in the wheat market. The USDA Outlook Conference is at the end of the week, and will give some early thoughts for next year's seeded area, but these numbers usually do not have a large impact on the market. Global wheat stocks remain relatively tight, but cash trade looks like it will continue to be slow, with Egypt being the only tender scheduled for the coming week. 
The upside for old crop is limited, and we would finish old crop sales at around $12 a bushel. We would also sell about 20% of our expected new crop at $11 a bushel. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update will be coming up right after these messages. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up in the nearby months this hour. This hour. Uh, March canola trading at 841.40. That's up $2.90. May canola trading at 833.80, up $1.90. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 9.14 per bushel, down 10.5 cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 8.76 and a quarter, down 28 cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 7.35 and a quarter, down 15 and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 6.75 and a quarter, down 5 and a quarter cents. March soybeans trading at 15.39 and three quarters, down nine cents. March oats trading at 3.66 per bushel, up one and three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. The Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities is pushing for more progress on the Lake Diefenbaker Irrigation Project to provide much needed drought relief. President Ray Orb says the $4 billion megaproject was announced in 2020 and he's hoping for an update on construction work. He says $45 million was allocated for preliminary engineering and there was discussion that phase one work could start this year. We're definitely really excited about the uh, the project. We were aware of that when it, it was announced. So that would be a great project for the, uh, the Lake Deepwaker area, but also the entire province. So now we're asking for an update. Uh, we haven't heard much about the project as far as the irrigation expansion, but we are uh, really interested in uh, in finding out what the status of that is. We feel uh, we don't want the project delayed any longer. We want it to go ahead as planned. He outlined some of the key elements of the project. Well, the idea of, of doubling the, the uh, irrigation acres in the province you know, from about 240,000 acres to almost 500,000 acres is great for the province. So it actually boosts our GDP in the province by about 40, maybe as high as $80 billion when the, uh, in the second stage uh, that's planned is completed. So this is a really uh, about food security, being able to uh, rely less on, on foreign imports and be able to produce more of our own food. So this project is invaluable, and that's why we wanted to go ahead. Or provides the latest details he has on the project. Well, there is a consultant, you know, and the province has provided funding toward the consulting and the planning of the phase one. And so there is already a canal in place, if you're familiar with the west side expansion project most of that project has already been started but it hasn't been completed so we're wanting that 
and I know the province is wanting that that initial stage to go ahead. There are about nine RMs in that in that area there that are that are directly affected by it. So I'm sure they're all waiting, and they have been um, consulting uh, with the RMs in that area, so they do know about the potential of the project. So it's kind of at that stage right now, and we're wondering now how fast that uh, first project will be completed. He believes that this irrigation project will alleviate some of Saskatchewan's drought problem. Well, you know, it certainly will help, that's for sure. Um, you know, SARM is, um, is aware there are other uh, projects in the province uh, that need to be completed, you know, as far as promoting irrigation. But this is the biggest. This is a mega project, and uh, if uh, this project uh, needs to go ahead, sooner the better. It certainly will help. You know, the ranchers in this province, especially the uh, RMs in the, in that area around Lake Deep Baker, I think are, are waiting for this to go ahead. So whenever there can be other crops grown, you know, whether it's hay, alfalfa, other, other grain crops, but certainly, you know, even vegetable crops and things like that need to go ahead. And I think that's where the value really lies is specialty crops and things like that that will uh, promote agriculture more in our province and uh, contribute more towards our gross domestic Ray Orb is the president of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board will be coming up right after these messages. Farm Bulletin Board. Are you a private landowner who owns 500 acres or more of grazing land? Then the Saskatchewan Stock Growers wants to hear from you. They're asking people to take a survey that will explore understanding, perceptions and interest in carbon opportunities and ecological goods and services across the Canadian prairies. Responses will be anonymous and grouped to your larger region for protection of privacy. You will also receive $50 as a thank you for your participation. If you would like to take part in this survey, you go to www.com fuseconsulting.ca slash take the survey. You can also contact Sheila Piper at Sheila at fuseconsulting.ca for more information or to complete the survey by phone. Manitoba Agriculture has begun a 45-day consultation period on a proposed amendments to the animal care regulation to modernize animal care by incorporating Canada's accredited zoos and aquariums into the regulation. The proposed amendments would recognize accreditation standards of 2022 as the animal welfare standard for zoological facilities in Manitoba. Manitobans are invited to provide feedback on the proposed amendments through the Manitoba Regulatory Consultation Portal and the deadline for submissions is April 3rd. And the East Central Research Foundation, New Yorkton, they're still looking for a research assistant or even a co-coordinator that could take on the leadership role in a few years' time. You're asked to email your resume to Mike Hall. It's m.hall at parklandcollege.sk.ca. For more information, you can give them a call at 306-621-6032. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, 
and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions. An extreme cold warning is in effect for today, mainly sunny. Winds north-northwest at 10 to 20 and a high of minus 24 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy. Winds north-northeast at 10 to 20 and a low of minus 30. For tomorrow, partly sunny. Winds north at 10 to 20, a high of minus 23, a low of minus 29. For Friday, a 50% chance of afternoon flurries. Winds south-southwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 20. For Saturday, sunny, a high of minus 17. And Sunday, partly sunny, a high of minus 4. In the Paw and Roblin, it's minus 26 degrees. Swan River is at minus 27. Dauphin and Show Lake Russell, minus 25. Brandon, minus 23. Regina and Hudson Bay are at minus 26 degrees. Saskatoon and Indian Head, minus 29. Broadview Mooseman, minus 28. Winyard Wadena Kelvington, minus 30. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a north-northwest wind at 9 kilometers an hour. 71% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 28 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 36 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 1215 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.